is our first time recording this year. Yeah. So we released the podcast, but we haven't recorded yet in the new year. Tell me, what what is new year like for you? Are you, we've, we've talked goals. I, I mean, I've listened back. I don't know if this is narcissistic or not, but I've listened back to you teaching on that last podcast yeah. about being goals and process goals. And man, if someone's listening and hasn't heard that yet, dude, you changed my whole oh, outlook of my year with that stuff. That's that was kind. super great. So, but what does the first year look like for you? So it's so funny. I had some friends over from out of town and they are like new year's people. And so we were reading at Hawkers, this like yeah. Asian hip restaurant in East Nashville and we're having a great time and everybody's going around the table talking about what they're so excited about the new year. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not that excited. <laughs> and my wife's like, you're such an eight. Was that you just wanting to be different than everyone no, else? No, it's, or? um, I, I love to be steady Eddie, you know, okay. so very few things are like mountaintops, but also very few things are valleys, you know? So I just kind of live in this space. It's I, of, that's one of the reasons why I love partnering with you. It's one of the reasons why my wife loves that we <laughs> partner together because <laughs> I need someone in my life like yeah. that. So, um, even though I, I absolutely start to review, okay, what are some things I'd like to do different this year? And I'll, I'll, I'll set some, some targets and some process goals and some, you know, being goals for the year. Yeah. I don't like go, you know, January 1st, it's this. So the turn of the calendar yeah. is not necessary. Yeah. It's not a big deal for you. I, I pay attention to it, but I don't get hype about it. Are you a January oh, 1st guy? Yeah, yeah. 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 I don't know. It's just like, I'll like, so I've got some health goals I'm working on. And I love the idea of ramping up to something. Yeah. Like a week out, two weeks out. Okay. On this date, I'm going to start. Okay. You know, and all, but I have, I mean, thanks to like what we talked about before. I, I've not been making like these bold resolutions, mm-hmm. whatever, but I do like a, a start date to something. Okay. And the turn of a calendar, even Mondays for me, I feel that way. Okay. A new week, new fresh, you know, I, I love it. I'm all in on it. So yeah, January 1st, I was like, okay. We're going to stop this, start this, whatever, and we'll see. We'll see how long it lasts. That's good. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on it. You played golf this last week? Yeah, I went to a, a tournament in Hilton Head and got absolutely crushed. <laughs> I, was, I was like, should I bring this up or not? I know it didn't go well. No, it's 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 super frustrating. Um, golf is like the most um, – you have to be a bit of a crazy person to play because, like, it's just so hard. It's just so hard. Well, you're actually a great golfer. See, I've not got to the point where I get frustrated yet because it's like I'm just pumped if I get yeah. one one good shot. You're to the point where you've played good enough that when you play bad, it's frustrating for you. Well, we um, so the tournament. The reason I signed up was it's at a course that the professionals, the PGA guys, play every April. It's the week after the Masters. They go to Hilton Head and play um, this course called Harbor Town, and so it's kind of a bucket list. Anytime you can go play where the real players play, it's kind of like, Ooh, you know, yeah. then, then you see it on TV and you're like, Oh, I remember I'd hit it out of bounds on that hole or I made a birdie on that hole, which I made zero of on Sunday, but it was great. Um, I love being in Hilton head. I love getting to compete. And so I, I've got some, some process goals I've got for, for golf that I set up every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's it, I, something about competing, man. I just yeah. love like, let's go in the ring. Let's like put the gloves on and you're competing against yourself. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, it's like, that's a sport where it's like, you know, you can really make it personal. And again, this is super like deep cut for people, but there are guys that are in their sixties that play this, these tournaments and golf, such a great game because, you know, I grew up playing a lot of sports. Soccer is what I played in college. Yeah. You can't do it past your twenties. Golf's a game you can play until you're 80, <laughs> yeah. you know, if yeah, you're yeah, in yeah. decent shape. So it's like, this is a great game. It can last forever. So what, what are, what are some leadership kind of what, what's kicking around this first of the year for you? Like, what do you got stewing over there? Yeah, this, this is such such a random um, thought. So I was listening to the radio and I heard an artist that um, 
the original singer um, resigned from singing, but stayed in control of leading the organization. He put a new singer in place. Okay. And I thought, well, that's really strategic to leave an artist gig, but still like maintain control and probably mm-hmm. revenue streams and mm-hmm. all the ways that they run the organization. I was like, man, that guy's got to have pretty good guts. Like, I bet his stomach <laughs> for leadership is pretty strong. Like you know? his instincts, you mean? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Your, your leadership instincts. I go, but there's um, not everybody's wired that way to have a good gut about leadership. So what's what's the opposite of having a good gut and leadership? And it's like, well, maybe data, like people who are really reliant on the information. Yeah. And I just remember this conversation we had um, several years ago, and you were kind of frustrated. It's like, man, we always make decisions based on kind of intuition. We, we probably need a better approach to get data to make these decisions. So yeah. I just remember thinking like, oh yeah, Drew was like the, hey, we should really ask people mm-hmm. what they think before we make some of these decisions. So talk about a little bit with that book. Yeah. It's called Why? Yeah, no, it was called Ask oh. is the name of the book. And, and uh, a friend of ours, Kyle Chowning, turned me on to it. And I was just picking his brain around some just marketing strategy and some stuff like that. And it, it's such a simple concept, but when he said it, I was like, oh, man, this is this is genius. He, he's talking about some of the best leaders of all time at their best probably only are about a 70% accuracy when it comes to okay. just following their gut. I mean, these are like really great gut instinct leaders are going to only be 70 or 80%. And just talk about closing the gap even for the rest of us. I'm, I'm very much a gut instinct, emotional leader. Like I'm a feeler, right? Yeah. I like to feel things out. And I, the older I get, the more I realize how unreliable <laughs> that gut. And I, I'm not saying I have terrible instincts. I think my instincts are okay. Yeah. But because I'm such an emotional person, it's like what we talked about earlier, having guys like you in my life that I can bounce off, bounce ideas off of, you know, living in consultation, this idea of like, hey, I'm going to not just make decisions on my own. I'm going to make them with other people. Um, I, I've, I've gotten better. I've gotten stronger because of that. Not just realize, you know, re- relying, sorry, relying on gut instincts. And so the book basically says I can save you from reading it. Basically just ask. Now it does give you a very specific method on the right questions to ask to get the best answers. Right. So there's yeah. some science behind it for sure. But it's just this concept of like, man, we would make a lot better decisions in our life if we would just ask the people that we're serving, whether it's a product or it's a service business, mm-hmm. whatever it is, hey, what is it you're looking for? What do you need? Or even follow-up evaluation feedback. Like, you know, where did we miss? You know, yeah. I just had a client that rolled off recently. And as much as I had feelings about losing this client, at the same time, what was bigger inside of me is I wonder what valuable information they could give me that will help me serve my my next, next client, right? Yeah. So, and that's hard to do sometimes at the end of a a relationship to have yeah. those conversations, right? Because our pride our pride bubbles up. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think the discipline of of asking great questions to increase our odds of success. And I just wonder if I look back at my story, how much better I could have been or, or more accurate I could have been with my decision making if I'd have been willing to be n- not ignore my gut, but maybe back up those gut instinct decisions with a little bit of yeah. data. <laughs> well, and it's so tough because I think there is an American like image of the out front leader that is just relying on gut. You think about, you know, the Jack Welsh's and all yeah. you know, some of these fantastic American stories. And one of the most famous ones is, is Henry Ford saying, if, if I would have asked the world what they wanted, they would have said, we want faster horses. Right. And if he would have pulled his potential, you know, clients at that point, right. He wouldn't have built a great American brand. 
So how do you know, Matt, if you're a, a gut leader or if you're a, a data leader? Talk about that first. I have a follow-up question to that yeah. after you unpack that a little bit. I, I think it comes back to understanding yourself a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know some leaders are very opposed to um, those personality assessment filters, Enneagram, StrengthsFinder, yep. Working Genius. There's tons of Myers-Briggs, yeah. there's tons of them. Pick one. And- some of those things can can help you know that. My thing is by the time you're responsible for the type of influence it takes to lead an organization, you should really have a pretty good idea whether you're the like, Hey, let's go get consensus. Let's go get feedback before we make this call. Or man, I just know we got to go over here and do this thing. So I think a lot of people, um, of course I'm saying that as an instinctive person instinctively know that, (laughs) right? but I do think um, people who are hesitant to make decisions probably don't have that gut level. We're going to go do this. And they're the type of leader that might, really benefit from getting good data yep. because they're, they're uncertain, they're insecure. They're not exactly sure what to do next. Right. Sometimes a, a better data system can help drive decisions for those types of leaders. Sure. So my follow-up question is this, cause that's really, that's great. That's helpful. You mentioned the Henry Ford example, which I personally love because I yeah. lean that way. I love to be pioneer. Uh, yeah. I mean, like what, what could be, you know, what's, yeah. what's next, what's on the horizon. And so I, I am the type that will probably ignore the odds to go after something. Cause I just can reframe yep. and dream and believe in all kind of stuff. But how do you know as a leader? Cause I would imagine if you're more of a database leader, the tendency is going to be to get stuck and paralyzed with your decision-making because you're like, I see the odds and it's keeping me from making a decision. Now the, the other spectrum is you're this gut level leader and you're just going out and you're making mistakes and you're yeah. leaving just a, a trail of <laughs> human wreckage and mistakes, yeah. everything behind right. you. You're just going, how do you bring those worlds together? Yeah. I wish this was mine. Um, there's a, a leader named Jim Collins. Who's a leadership author written some classics. He has this idea of musket balls versus cannonballs. Oh yeah. So in an organization, um, you can't afford to always fire the big guns every time there's a new idea. So the idea is like you fire the small bullets and try to figure out, okay, will this idea have traction? Um, and so sometimes it's target marketing. Like let's do a small sample size of a product or a service and see to a a really small audience, if it's going to get traction Mm -hmm. before you just unroll brand new website, brand new idea, whatever it's going to be. And so the idea is like, okay, where are small ways to test new ideas, new concepts before you go full throttle after it beta test stuff. And I remember that was something that we, we use because we were in an organization that had a lot of different divisions and, It was it was smart for us to say, hey, we're going to try this over here in the kind of in the corner of the division. If it works here, then we'll we'll take it throughout the whole thing. But we can kind of beta test here. Yeah. A lot of companies are doing that even before they bring like a restaurant to Nashville. There okay. are certain cities in the U.S. Yeah. that they'll go that's comparable but smaller that yeah. they'll go and they'll beta test a restaurant. Yeah. If it works, you know, in this city in North Carolina, then they bring it to Nashville because yeah. they know. That'll work. Similar demographics. Yeah. So I was driving um, from Hilton Head to Charleston to get my flight home from mm-hmm. this golf tournament. And um, I think if you're a small organization, maybe you can't afford like tons of analytics and you know tons of demographic information, you can always steal. So one thing in like real estate development is you, if you follow Targets, Starbucks, and Chick-fil-A, yep. before they plant a flag in a community, 
you better believe they've done all the market research for, you know, household income and growth yep. and all the just things that go with them around just the follow those people around. So I was driving through this town um, on the way to Charleston. I was like, there's nothing here. Then all of a sudden you start seeing these apartment complexes like, man, these are massive. I feel like I'm in the middle of nowhere. The next thing I saw was a Walmart, then a target. Yeah. Then, then you start seeing all the shops that are like the up and coming kind of yep. retailers. And it's like, okay, someone knew, Hey, we can go build these giant apartments because these other retailers have already gone here and showed us, these markets are going to work. Yeah. I love that. Well, one of the main reasons why we started fraction X is in, and I want you to kind of go back to some of your golf analogy, golf example that you started with earlier. But a lot of the reason why we did this is because I feel like I could have avoided a lot of mistakes in my leadership or, or maybe even had just greater effectiveness and success. If I would have, surrounded myself more with the team of people that I would actually listen to and trust and respect to help me navigate, make decisions. And so we understand that building a business is tough. We understand that some people have teams, but still feel alone in their leadership and you need good people around you to help you make good decisions. And, and this is another podcast we can talk about this some other time, but it's, it's, probably costing you a lot of money every year, the decisions you're making that are wrong or the decisions you're not making because you don't have people to bounce these ideas off of. But I remember you talking about Mickelson, which I'm not, I don't know much about golf, but because I used to play PJ tour golf on the computer as a kid, Mickelson was my guy. Right. So I did know that he's a big risk taker, but there was a kind of a cool story that you told me. I didn't know. Yeah. So a couple caddies ago, um, Phil notoriously had this veto rule. So if people knew the, inside baseball, so to speak of golf, like there's so much analytical information that goes into a shot. You've mm-hmm. got your yardage. Is there elevation change up or down? Is there, um, is the golf course at elevation or sea level wind, all this stuff. And so and there's so many pieces of like data going into each golf shot. And so Phil is this like notorious gut level instinct guy. Yeah. I, I just think it's this, I'm going to go for it. I'm just going to do it. Kind you know? of the and 10 cup type 100%, guy. Yeah. It's high risk and high reward. I mean, <laughs> Honestly, if there wasn't ever a Tiger Woods for about a decade, maybe even a decade plus, Phil Mickelson would have been the best golfer in the world for wow. a long time. And it's probably so, why people love him too, because he's so fun to watch. Oh yeah. yeah. You never know what's gonna happen, right? He can win a major <laughs> or he can not make the cut. But he um he gave his caddy one veto a year. So it's like, hey, if if I'm gonna do the risky thing right now, and you just think it's such a bad idea that you would waste your one no on this shot. Yeah. I'm going to give that to you. Yeah. And I was like, man, that is actually a pretty brilliant because if, you know, if a leader's wired like you are, where it's like new horizons, I can reframe, I'm going to be optimistic. You need someone in your corner who goes, dude, I'm with you. This is awesome. I'm going on the journey with you. But this one thing right here is a really bad area for you. Let's yep. not do this. Yep. Absolutely. Well, and f- for me, I-, I know in my life, I'll be a serial entrepreneur. Like I love start. I'm a starter. I love starting things, building things, handing them yeah. off, whatever. But one value that I have is I'll never start something alone because mm-hmm. I need like, and we talked about it earlier. I need to have Matt, someone I can bounce something off of because I am a dreamer and I will run in a lot of different directions and I need someone to pull me back when they're like, Hey, no, that's not what we said we're going to do or be like, Hey, no, that's something we should, we should try. And part of it is too, I just want to have someone in it to share the success, the reward, and also to share the failure to be able to, Hey, it's okay. We're going to, we'll pick ourselves back up. Mm -hmm. We'll go. But especially when you're running a small to medium sized business or you're a brand new entrepreneur, it's like, 
you're out there just calling the shots, right? Mm-hmm. And you can. You can afford that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like when you're leading a big organization, you know, like you've got to make slower decisions, more calculated decisions. You can't just run and gun, shoot from the hip because there's a lot more riding on these decisions. Yep. It's kind of the fun part of a startup is you can kind of, you know, run and gun a little yep. bit. Now, you can sink yourself quicker sure. to, you know, do that. But you can also like, you know, kind of you said the high yeah. risk, high reward stuff. Um, but it's so important to have people around your table that you're dreaming with, you're bouncing ideas that you give a veto to, yeah. or at least, you know, maybe if your gut is saying, try something, at least you have people, you know, helping you count the cost of what that, yeah. that might be. So go ahead. You, yeah. You, I was going to say, it's like, I've said this a couple times, very few things in life are light switch on or off. Yes or no. It's always a spectrum, some type of dial. And so I think with organizations, like you talk about early in the life cycle, almost all you have on some level is your gut. Man, I think I can go start this business. I think the world needs this product or service that I offer. And then as an organization grows, it becomes way more, you know, bureaucratic. And so, you know, as a leader, you have to bring people on. And sometimes those people maybe not be the right people to support your vision. And so, there. You'd need analytical people. You need your, you know, high functioning operations people to bring data to the the business. What my concern for business leaders is sometimes is um, as you grow and you bring more data to the table, it can be an excuse not to do something. Yeah. So it starts to be um, the the insecurity blanket of like, hey, data saying we really shouldn't do this, and it's like, man, we're only here because I took these risks. Like, right. You know. So as a leader, it's like you put all your cards on the table right. and you go try something that starts working. And then as you get comfortable, you start to play it safe yeah. and the organization loses its mojo because you're not willing to take those risks anymore. And part of that's a natural life cycle, but I think that's why so many organizations end up dying and end mm-hmm. up at the end cycle of a business season because it's like, man, you're, you're done because you're not doing the things that got you here. Why? I mean, why do you think that is? And I, I want to wrap soon because we promised our, our listeners, we keep these short, but this is such an important, I think it's an important topic. I think it can make or break a business yeah, or a leader, this whole, yeah. this whole topic, you know, it's something we should explore more. Yeah. Why do you think that is as an organization grows? Is it, is it just safety? Is it just like, Hey, it's working. Let's not break. Let's, you know, don't, don't fix what's not broke type thing. Or why, why do we get stuck? Cause I've been a part of those organizations yeah. where it was super successful the first 10 years and then just leveled off and we kept running the same play, but we stopped innovating. Yeah. I think, um, if you've never signed a payroll check, it's really tough <laughs> to know the pressure that people carry when they yeah. have to pay people every two, every two weeks. Absolutely. And so I think you start playing it safe because you know, there's more at stake. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really difficult to stay in that go mode. And that's why leaders need people around them that remind them who they are. Hey, here's your identity as a leader, as a founder, this is what got you here. And I'm not saying you throw all your chips in all the time. We're, we're going to fire musket balls instead of cannonballs. We can be right. strategic, right. but we have to move forward with our decisions. We have to take some risk in business. And, um, I, I think it just becomes difficult because the stakes get really high. Yeah, that's really good. So let's recap this real quick. You've got your data kind of data driven leaders. Yeah. You've got your gut level leaders and there's a spectrum, right? It's not just one or the other. Like we've got that. It seems like the key to it is having great people around you that you're bouncing ideas off of, you know, you're going, going at the pace that you can stomach, that you can manage. What else? What, what do we want to leave people with? In this I think episode? maybe the, the last thing I'd leave, cause that's a great rap is just, you need, you need someone in your life. That's got a veto and it could yeah. be a spouse. It could be someone in your board. It could be guys at Fraction X. Yeah. Somebody in your life needs to care enough about you and your business to say, hey, listen, that's really not the best decision right now. And so I think it's always having um, 
a really healthy appetite for risk and also having the, the emergency break when it's time to pivot and make a different decision. Yeah, it's good. Well, thanks everybody for listening. If we can help serve you in any way, please reach out to us. We'd love to do that. We'd love to help leaders and organizations get better, increase revenue and all that good stuff. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.